Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help women who have lost children to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Certified Life Coach and Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Episode 23, Judgment. First of all, I it's early in the morning, and I'm sitting upstairs in my home office recording this, and our heater is out upstairs, and it's been out for... Oh, I don't know. Probably two or three weeks. Um, it's kind of weird because our upstairs is not very large, but there's a separate heat heater unit up here for some reason, and it hasn't been working. And in order not to disturb other people that are in the house, I often have the door open or door closed, I should say. And so it gets really cold in this room. When I can open the door, the heat from downstairs rises, but you know, I'm a Florida girl that's now in Utah and it's been really cold. And so I'm sitting under blankets recording this and rubbing my hands together, (laughs) trying to keep warm. Um, But today I wanted to talk about judgment. And before I get started specifically talking about judgment, I just, I wanted to mention why I emphasize so much our thoughts and our feelings and, and how we can separate the situations around us from our thoughts. I don't think I've mentioned this before, but there's a there's a term called dirty pain versus clean pain. Sometimes it's called unnatural pain versus natural pain. And so I want to explain that concept briefly before I start talking specifically about judgment. And that is dirty pain compared to clean pain. Well, let me start with clean pain. Clean pain is when you, when something happens that's inherently something that we want to feel sad about. Um, For example, losing your child, right? The grief and the pain is natural and normal, and that's considered clean pain. When we make judgments about how other people should be responding to us, and we have pain around that, that becomes dirty pain. So that becomes a, a decision as to whether or not we really want to take that on. So I'm going to talk a little more about that, but to be a little clearer on the difference between dirty pain and clean pain, I'm going to take a really benign example. So let's say you have broccoli. The broccoli goes bad in the refrigerator. Okay. That's the situation. The broccoli goes bad in the refrigerator. We discover it. It's moldy. It's bushy. It's not edible. Okay. That's the situation the broccoli goes bad. The wife might be disappointed because she was planning on cooking it for dinner and to have it to eat for dinner. So, but the husband on the other hand might be thrilled because he hates broccoli and he's happy not to have it for dinner. So same situation. We open the drawer, the broccoli's gone bad, two different people, two different responses. So we have one person who thinks, I wanted to cook that and eat that for dinner. And so they're disappointed. So we have a situation broccoli goes bad. The thought is I was planning on cooking that and eating it for dinner and now I can't. And so then the feeling is disappointment. The husband on the other hand 
his thought is same situation. Broccoli goes bad. The husband thinks, I hate broccoli. I'm glad I don't have to have that for dinner. And so his feelings are thrilled. It's a very benign situation, but I just want to show you how a situation can be either positive or negative, depending on how we decide to look at it. Now, it's really easy when we have a a scenario that's so benign, like broccoli going bad in the refrigerator. It's harder for us to separate our thoughts and our feelings from what happened when it's a more intimate situation, like it's another person that you care about or another person that you feel like should care about you, then we have these thoughts and feelings about it. And we think that those thoughts and feelings are the truth. And I know I've talked about this before, but I just, I, I think it's so important for us to recognize the decision in those scenarios. So that's why I bring up the broccoli story. But I heard a story this week that I wanted to share with you that I think is really illustrates uh, some of this really well. And it's a story from Buddha. And the story goes that one day he was walking down the street and he comes across this young man who's angry and just starts saying all these insults to Buddha. And the Buddha was was not upset by the insults. And, and instead, he asked the young man, tell me. If you buy a gift for someone and that person does not take it, to whom does the gift belong? Well, the young man stopped and looked at him surprised and said, it would belong to me because I bought the gift. And the Buddha said, that is correct. And it is exactly the same with your anger. If you become angry with me and I do not get insulted, then the anger falls back on you. You are then the only one who becomes unhappy, not me. All you have done is hurt yourself. So we can look at this story a couple of different ways. We could be the the angry person who is shouting insults at someone, and we are absorbing all of that anger. Or we could be the Buddha that's receiving the insults and deciding whether or not we're going to accept the gift. So the gift is the insult, which is kind of a weird way to look at it. But when somebody offers us an insult or offers us something that is not helpful to us, we get to decide. We get to decide if we're going to accept it or we're going to reject it. And my suggestion is that we reject it. And then that doesn't become part of our experience. The man that told the story of the Buddha this week was talking about his early years and some of the insults that he heard from his family and some of the things that were said to him. And when he heard this story, he realized that he didn't have to accept those insults. He didn't have to internalize those things that were said to him, that he could reject the gift and that that would go back to the person that said those, uh, and he didn't have to be affected by them anymore, which I think is uh, super valuable to recognize. I've talked about Byron Katie before, but I want to mention again some of her concepts, because I think it's important to our discussion today, and that is what she calls the work. 
the work is a way of taking a, a stressful thought, something that we're thinking that's costing us emotional pain and considering four questions and a turnaround. And so the four questions are, is it true? So if, for example, well, I'm going to give you an example in a minute. So the four questions are, is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And the fourth question, who would you be without the thought? The next step of the work then after answering those four questions is the turnaround. It's a way of experiencing the opposite of what your thought is. For example, here's the example. The thought is, my husband should listen to me. Okay, so you would go through those questions. My husband should listen to me. Is it true? And Byron Katie would say, if he's not listening, then we're arguing with reality if we believe that that is true. So can we absolutely know that it's true? No, we can't absolutely know that it's true that he should listen to me. Um, and how do you react when that happens and so forth, right? But this is the turnaround. My husband should listen to me can be turned around to, I should listen to my husband. Such, such interesting work. I love this. This turnaround is just so interesting. When we point the finger outward and we say, my husband should listen to me, we turn it around. I should listen to my husband. The second turnaround or another example of a turnaround, it would be, I should listen to myself. And the third turnaround is my husband shouldn't listen to me. So then we find examples of how each turnaround might be true. So if you think to yourself, I should listen to my husband, can we find examples of the truth in that? Or I should listen to myself, can we find the truth in that? Or my husband shouldn't shouldn't listen to me, can we find the truth in that? Well, the fact that he isn't, maybe is that is the truth, he shouldn't listen to me. So interesting. Anyway, I would recommend, if you wanted to learn a little more about that, I would recommend her book, Loving What Is. Super interesting. And it explains these four questions and how that works. And then she gives lots of examples. You can also find her on YouTube working with people and kind of going through the questions. Um, super interesting work. And she was able to overcome some massive anxiety and depression with this particular model. And actually, if you go to, if you look up Byron Katie, B-Y-R-O-N Katie, K-A-T-I-E, if you look her up on Wikipedia, you can see the outline of the four questions and the turnaround, which actually gives the example that I just shared with you. My husband um, should listen to me and so forth. So let's explore judging ourselves. When we are feeling sad or we're feeling our grief and we say to ourselves, I shouldn't be sad anymore. Why am I always sad? Then what that does is it argues against what we're currently feeling. And it doesn't allow us to actually feel what we're feeling and go into that feeling and just feel it fully, feel it in our body feel the experience. And as we do that, it will pass through us quicker. But when we start asking questions like, I shouldn't be sad anymore. Why am I always so sad? 
When we make statements and ask ourselves questions like that, those are not helpful questions. We're judging ourselves. We're judging what's happening. Instead, we can say to ourselves, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Another question we might ask ourselves is, why can't I get my act together? Super unhelpful. We're judging ourselves again. We want to come from a place of compassion and curiosity And we want to be able to feel what we're feeling. So I would, I would think about separating judgment from areas of improvement. So what that means is if we're just kind of attacking ourselves for where we're at right now, we're not actually able to just be curious about what's going on and to look for opportunities for improvement. If we're, if we're judging and we're being hateful towards ourselves and we're just always feeling unhappy with ourselves before where we are, we can't, it makes it a lot harder to just look within with compassion and say, what do I need right now? What would help me right now? Those questions are just so much more compassionate than why am I always this way? What's wrong with me? Those, those types of questions, all they do is they attract more negativity into our life because we're, our, our mind wants to answer the questions that we're having. We give our brain directive by saying, what's wrong with me? So what does our brain do? Our brain goes and looks for evidence that there's something wrong with us and brings back all this evidence. I'll tell you what's wrong with you. Blank, blank, blank. You know, so we just get one thing after another. That's what's wrong with you. So ask yourself better questions. When you hear a question like that come up in your brain and you will, when you hear things like, why can't I get my act together? Stop and redirect that question. What would help me right now? What do I need right now? Then we're able to come from a place of compassion and we're able to, then our brain goes to work looking for what will help us right now. We're giving our brain direction to look for something that's going to help us right now or what we need right now. Just super important that we be compassionate with ourselves. And when we find ourselves being rude and angry with ourselves, don't accept that gift. (laughs) Turn that around and just say, no, that's not where I'm coming from. I am exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. What do I need right now? What would help me right now? I also want to talk about judging others. And it kind of goes back to the example in the the work with Byron Katie. Um, my husband should listen to me. When we think things like that, my husband should listen to me. My friend should be calling me. My neighbor should be looking after me. When we have judgments like that, like what other people should be doing or how they should be acting, when we think they should be acting differently, then we're arguing with reality, first of all. Second of all, I would even suggest that maybe 
when we're saying things like that, our brain is again giving us evidence that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. What if we thought something more compassionate? What if we focused on how we want to show up for them? What if we focus on how we want to think about them? Do we want to think about them that way? For example, you know, when you think about a husband and you have thoughts like, he should listen to me, he should be willing to discuss this, he should, he should, he should, he should, right? We create this manual. This is what it should look like. This is exactly how he should act. When we create the manual and we decide how someone else should act, it's never, ever helpful. But if we focus on how we want to show up, how we want to feel about that person, like with my husband, I I want to love him. And if I'm just constantly having thoughts like he should listen to me, he should act differently, he should be willing to discuss problems with me, all these types of thoughts, which isn't necessarily what I'm thinking, <laughs> but you know, just as an example, then I I separate myself from the loving feelings that I want to have. So if I focus on loving him, then I can ask myself better questions or I can tell myself better statements. Just, I love him. I love him. And sometimes you can't, maybe you can't go that far with it with somebody. Maybe you can just say to yourself, they're doing the best they can. And we just offer compassion and we just recognize everyone is doing the best they can. And we recognize that every adult gets to decide. They get to decide who they are and and what they want. And here's a really interesting thing to, to realize. When we have a manual for someone and we decide how they should act, what time they should get up in the morning, what time they should do this, what time, how they should help in the kitchen, how they should respond to us. When we have all these thoughts about how somebody else should act, it keeps us from appreciating the person that they truly are. I I realize that if someone had those same expectations of me, how uncomfortable that would be. Let's say my husband always had these expectations that I would be doing this or that or the other, and I would be doing it this way. And he was always explaining to me how I should be acting and how I should be responding and all of that. It just would not feel good. He would not be allowing me to be who I am. And so the reverse is true. If I'm doing that, I'm not allowing him to be who he is. I'm using a husband as an example, but it could be anybody in your life. When we make a decision on how someone else should act or be, we're not allowing them to be who they are. And we wouldn't want somebody else to come along and say, okay, here's your manual. This is how you should act. And if you really think about it, let's, let's say that we gave the manual. We gave the manual to our husband or we gave the manual to our sister or we gave the manual to our friend. And we said, this is exactly how I want you to act. I want you to think about, I think there's been books written about this, right? Where, people are, I'm trying to think of, there's like a children's book. Um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but you know, where everybody is programmed to act a certain way. But you think about handing that manual to someone and then having them actually do exactly what it says in the manual. 
Like that would not be good either. We wouldn't be happy with that either. That's the, that's the wild part about it is we would not be happy if they were, I mean, I remember one time, gosh, this was years ago. I remember telling my husband, you should, you should compliment me more often. <laughs> I, I seriously, I said that to him. And so we went to church one morning and a friend came up and said hello. And I remember my husband kind of turning and going, and I can't remember exactly what he says, but it doesn't my wife look nice today or something like that. And I was just like, oh brother. Like I was, <laughs> I was rolling my eyes because it was not, it was not who he was. And it came off just kind of flat and weird. <laughs> And so here he did, you know, he followed the manual and he did what I requested, but it just, it really just doesn't work out. So we can eliminate the manual and we can tell ourselves it's exactly the way it's supposed to be. I know that doesn't always feel comfortable because we, we, our brain might argue with that, but when we think it's exactly the way it's supposed to be, then our brain can go in and look for evidence that yes, this is what's happening. So it is exactly the way it's supposed to be. I know it's a, an interesting and unusual way to look at things because this is not the way that we've been trained to look at things, but it really is the healthy way to look at things. The healthy way to look at things is to recognize that we're our own person. We're going to respond to things the way we're going to respond. Other people are going to respond the way they're responding. And we're all just learning and growing and we're all just doing the best we can. The problem is, is if we are constantly thinking things should be different than the way they are and that we can't feel better until situations change, we almost feel entitled to the situations changing. So we're always looking outside of ourselves for something to change in order for us to feel better. And when we think things like they should support me, they should understand me more, then we're looking for them to support and understand us instead of supporting ourselves, understanding ourselves, and creating that space for ourselves to have what we need in that moment. I hope this has given you some food for thought about examining our judgments so we can eliminate some of this pain that we're creating for ourselves. Like I said, there's clean pain and there's dirty pain. And we can make decisions about our thoughts around a situation. And even when we think someone else is, when we say things like, well, that person is just angry. Well, that's a judgment. That's, that's our thought about a situation. I know it doesn't feel like it, but it is. It's a thought about the situation. When we think, I have a difficult, I have a difficult relationship with that person. That's our thought. That's our thought because our relationships are really just our thoughts. And we're going to explore that more in the future. But but I do hope that this has given you some things to think about in areas where maybe you've been giving people manuals. This is the way you should treat me. This is the way you should act around me. This is These are the things that you should say and do. Maybe if we decide not to hand out those manuals anymore, and we decide how we want to think and feel and how we want to show up, 
that we want to show up with love, that we want to show up with compassion, we can eliminate some of the pain that we've created for ourselves by thinking that it should be different. Also, I want to invite you to join us on the Build a Life After Loss Facebook page. We also have a Build a Life After Loss Facebook group. It's exclusively for women who have lost children, and that's a place where you can go for support. I hope you'll join us there as well. Have a wonderful week. Remember, I love you and I believe in you.